Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm extremely excited for this week's episode with the one and only Catherine Woodward Thomas. Catherine is the author of two seminal books. Um, one is Calling in the One, which is the focus of this episode, and the other is Conscious Uncoupling. She is a true wizard when it comes to sort of inner frame that one needs to achieve in order to attract the person that is our partner for life. And so in this episode, we delve deeply into uh, the principles of calling in the one, um, the various uh, mindsets and practices that one can incorporate in their life to call in the partner of their dreams. I think you'll get a tremendous amount of value out of the episode, and I want to thank you guys all for taking the time to leave ratings and reviews. We just crossed over 250 ratings and reviews, and uh, all of your wonderful feedback means the world to me. It helps us grow the audience and the community, so I'm very, very grateful. This episode is brought to you by Lifecycle. Uh, Lifecycle is one of my favorite adaptogenic mushroom companies. Um, I've been taking a ton of their mushrooms lately to help boost my immunity. I'm currently taking their chaga with uh, wild harvested cockadoo plum, which is one of the highest sources of vitamin C on the planet. And I love their lion's mane for cognitive optimization. You can check them out, Lifecycle, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L.com, and put in PeakMind20 for 20% off your order. You can delve deeply in the efficacy of each mushroom in the interview that I did with the founder, Julian Mitchell. Again, lifecycle.com. And with that, it's my great pleasure to introduce the one and only Catherine Woodward Thomas. All right. I'm here with my good friend, Catherine Woodward Thomas. We, we've already pretty much done half a podcast before we even jumped this baby up. So for context, for those listening, uh, Catherine came over and we we pretty much dropped into... Uh, like an hour long deep uh i would almost call it like a, an enema for me i'm like <laughs> one realized that like i totally need to reorganize my house because i have nothing but like monastic men in, in my entire living room <laughs> and no room for my queen in my bedroom so uh but also just really profound truths and you are a um you know author obviously of calling in the one and conscious uncoupling and a dear friend but uh, it's an honor to uh, to formally be with you on the show. Oh, thank you. It's a joy. And now we've got our friends here with us as we continue the dialogue. Exactly. So part of, I mean, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. This will not be our last conversation. But I have been reading Calling in the One with great interest uh, because I, it's my belief that the greatest decision we make in life is who we choose to partner with, should should you choose to partner. Mm-hmm. And I have, let's just say this hasn't been the area in life in which I've shown the greatest thriving. Oh, perfect. You're, yeah. like, you're like my favorite person <laughs> to work with. Exactly. And I've told lots of girlfriends and I've gotten actually a lot of people reading the book. Um, and to be fair, I haven't yet done the exercises, which I will do, but I wanted to, you know, read in preparation. But it's so... Uh, I think powerful to to have the context of preparing space for the person you're looking to call forward. Yeah. So what? Well, let me just start by asking, which, which is like, what led you to a place of being able to 
write this book such that it's so, I think, evocative. And I can only imagine, I mean, I'm sure people tell you all the time, but it has led to profound results for many people. Yeah. What, what, what have you seen to be um, the greatest gift of writing this book? Oh, the greatest gift. Gosh. Well, I think the greatest gift is waking up to how much power we have to create a future that looks nothing like our past, mm. actually. And the reason I wrote it was because it was an area that I really struggled in and suffered a great deal in. Um, it wasn't until I was in my early 40s that I actually created Calling in the One by doing it first mm. for myself. Uh, and before that, I had had patterns of mostly unavailable people. Um, I had like a, I mean, it was just like I was a magnet for married men, <laughs> magnet for alcoholics and commitment phobics. And the big joke is I like to say, and it was true, oh, by the way, is that uh, gay men who wanted to explore had a real thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, remember, I remember reading that and I was like, I don't have the same example there, but like I attract Either a woman who is was like in a relationship, and then all of a sudden her ex just like can smell that we're starting to date, and like literally, I've had guys move across the world and propose. Oh, so my either that or they've gosh. just broken up from they're like uh, you know like the, uh, the just gotten out of a marriage or just get proposed to while we start dating. I so anyway, I can relate. I, and it happens like, you know, you and you do everything you can to have it be different this time, exactly. right? So you like the moment you meet her you say, "No, you don't have an ex-boyfriend." Exactly. Knock out the I literally get up. So let's just get out of check. Okay, got it. Okay, we can we can hang out. Yeah. And then somehow he comes in anyway. I know exactly. it's just, it feels like it's just kind of fate to live this pattern. Yep. Like somehow it's your destiny to, to be alone. Other people get to have love. Maybe you're just here to serve the greater good in some way. Mm -hmm. Or then we go to astrologers and they're going to tell us it's in your chart. Or you go to psychics, they're going to say, oh, sorry, no love in your future. Exactly. <laughs> but I will tell you, one person I worked with had gone to a psychic right before she started working with me. And the guy said, oh, sorry, no partnership for you. It's not going to happen. She came crushed, you know, to the first time she worked with me. She was like completely in despair. I said, well, just hang in there anyway. Let's see if we can shift that. Four weeks later, I don't know why she went back to the same psychic with such bad news, but she went back to him and he looked at her and he said, oh my gosh, you just changed your future. Let me tell you about your husband. Really? Yeah. So don't let, So the first thing is don't give your power away to these people who are saying things to you. They're just reading your field. They're reading probabilities. I myself was told by a, a, a few people that I would never be a mother. I'm the mother of two girls now. You know, we have a say in how our lives go. And the patterns that we were born into, the kind of relational traumas that we suffered and the, the kind of pathologies that were built you know, in response to those or the missing skills that we don't know how to bring those into relationships that cause such problems, those need not be our destiny. They are our fate, we have to deal with them. But if you begin with the future, with a bold intention, to cause something that, that's probably not going to happen unless you take a stand for it, it's going to begin to pull you into becoming who you would need to be in order for that future to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. As opposed to what we all tend to do, which is we go into the past to try and understand the relational traumas. But here's the thing. When 
when when we when we go into the past over and over and over again to try and understand ourselves and why we're attracting what we're attracting what we're doing essentially is we're kind of solidifying the self that was formed in relationship to the trauma mm. whatever we give our attention to grows yeah so in calling in the one we're going to go back to the past to be informed about the meaning I made and the identity that I formed in response to the trauma. So if I had a developmental trauma, like my mother was a narcissist, for example, where you never really get the mirroring that you need or the validation that you need, and you have to organize around another person from the age of you know, two uh, in order to be safe in the world, that trauma is, is developing a sense of I am invisible. Nobody really cares about my feelings or my needs. And it's even a little dangerous mm -hmm. to be seen, right? There's an actual, what we call a love identity that, that is formed back then. And you want to be able to go back to name it. But here's the thing. If we're still victimized by what happened back then, which most of us are because it didn't happen 30 years ago. It happened 30 minutes ago. Right. You're holding um, it like it was yesterday. Yeah. yeah, because it keeps showing up in the space over and over again. I mean, when, you know, when, when I was all these unavailable people, basically what was being mirrored back to me is no one ever really shows up for me. And I did get involved with married men sometimes because there was it was like nothing or crumbs of love with someone who was committed elsewhere. And so when I was young, I was, you know, foolish enough to not understand, you know, integrity and ethics and clarity and stuff. So I'd end up getting entangled in these love affairs. But the overall experience I was left with is yet yet again, I'm all alone. Mm -hmm. No one's really here for me. Everybody always leaves. And I can never really get what I need from other people. That was what I call my love identity. Mm. So... But the reason I saw that is uh, when I was in my early 40s, I was meeting with a group of friends, and um, they were all setting intentions with each other. We were kind of, this is like 20 years ago, just to give context to this. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so some of them were doubling their income, or they were buying a home for the first time, or they were starting a business. It was more, more of a business kind of group. But all I really wanted at that point was love. You know, I wanted a family. I'm 41. I was like, okay, it's too late for me to have kids, but I still want a husband or whatever I was thinking. And, uh, and I had on the tail end of a failed love affair yet again, I called up a friend from this group. Yeah. And I said, Naomi, I know this is a crazy intention, but I'm going to be engaged by my 42nd birthday. <clears throat> and she said something that changed my life. She said, Catherine, I'm going to hold that intention with you and for you if you give me permission to hold you accountable for being the woman that you would need to be mm. in order for that to happen. And so that was really the beginning of calling in the one because in that moment I realized, okay, I'm standing for a future and the game isn't so much about running out to find love, it's about becoming the person, you need to be. the person I'd need to be. And that's a developmental trajectory. And that means I got a lot of house cleaning to do. Mm -hmm. And that means I gotta look at my own consciousness even though it feels like it's happening to me. How exactly is it happening through me? How am I the source of my own aloneness? And once I started to look from there, and what, are, what is the consciousness that I'm centered in as it relates to love, 
that is actually generating this experience of nobody really showing up for me. So I was, by that time, a therapist. I'd been doing spiritual work for years. Like, I was not a newbie to personal development. But that level of self-responsibility. It's like I wasn't, it's, it's not that I was responsible for what happened to me as a child. I don't think any of us are. But I was responsible for how I was showing up now in my relationships that was keeping that story in the space. Mm -hmm. So every day I'd sit on my meditation cushion, I'd vision what it might feel like to be in that relationship, what it might sound like, what it might smell like. So I'm engaging all of my senses. I'm doing my best to really stretch my consciousness to just imagine somebody really showing up for me and being there for me. And then I would ask the universe a series of questions. The first one, what would I need to give up mm. in order to manifest this vision? And I'd listen. And I wasn't listening for some big burning bush or, you know, a voice to come down from heaven. But I think we know things when we ask and we just listen. Yeah. We intuitively just start to feel things like we know what the next step is if we're honest with ourselves. You know, we're, and we, we're like the best best teacher of our own selves. We are, world. we yeah. are. We just have to give trust ourselves and just sit in that silence. And it's in a receptive place, right? I'm asking the universe, like I'm open to really listening. You know, you got it right away. The moment I came in, I'm like, oh, you're living in the monastery. Okay, <laughs> exactly. Nobody's, no woman is coming into this space. <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah. so the instruction that you might get. You're is, like you have all. You have, I love you have all monks, and yeah. you know, I was like, okay, I think I need to. Uh, no, but I'm having any sex right now. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So it was a fair point. Okay, so but so then what you want to do is you say, okay, I'm going to bring in images of love and connection, right? So there's an action to your knowing. You ask the question, what is there to give up? And then there's there's information that comes in. And instead of analyzing, which we're all kind of addicted to, you want to be in action. So mm -hmm. this week, you're going to go out and you're going to get art of, you know, intertwined roots on a tree or, you know, you know couples or something that represents community, family, love. That's mm. what you're going to start to put into your space. You can still keep your monastery photos around if you want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but because you want to keep that part of yourself, that's a beautiful part of you. But, but you want to make your home inviting to a lover. Yeah. So the next question, what would I need to grow and develop? Mm. How would I need to develop in order to prepare myself to be ready? for this love and that's an amazing question to ask the universe mm -hmm. because you're gonna you know you're gonna start to learn well you need to maybe develop the capacity to be self-responsible for your own mm -hmm. feelings and needs so that you can be more conscious in relationship and that's going to start with you then starting a practice of checking in with yourself every day what do I feel in this moment and see if you can name that feeling and what am I needing in this moment and then actually address the need. You might not be able to fulfill it, but you can bar bargain it. I can't take a nap right now. I'm tired. I need rest, but I will go to bed earlier tonight. So you just get in the habit of actually being more conscious and self-aware in preparation or, or you, know, you might need to learn how to be more forgiving. Mm of people like how do I repair it when there is a breakdown with myself and other people or you might need to learn how to be more tolerant of differences mm. 
you know, or more, uh, more authentic in your communication. So we all know what our growing edge is, and you start to listen. I mean, I think it's much more powerful to become a student when you've had these toxic patterns. It's much more powerful to become a student of healthy relationship and healthy, secure attachment than it is to endlessly analyze insecure attachment, avoidant attachment. I love that. I've started, actually, it was interesting, just two weeks ago, I started interviewing couples who embody relationships I would like to step into, the types of relationships, not exalting them as per- perfect in any way, shape, or form, but looking at the couples that that hold this kind of space I'd like to co-create with a partner and starting to step into that. Also, this conversation, just sort of being in the inquiry of what, who do I get to be to step into the space to attract the caliber of person and looking at the behaviors I feel like that hold me back. So, you know, I asked, I had a person ask me six or seven years ago, like a a really beautiful question, which was if you were to take away one thing from your life and if you were to add one thing to your life that would have the most transformational impact, what would it be? Wow, how did you answer that? Well, seven years ago, and it's powerful because I would say in many ways the answer, although I've taken action on one, is, uh, is, is the same. So I said, the, the first thing that came to me, I said, if I gave up alcohol, not that I was an alcoholic, but I was like, there's, and I was living in New York, so there's so much of the culture that's, that correlates with alcohol. Yeah. And I had a limiting belief that was like, well, I can't, I could see in a relationship if my partner didn't drink giving up alcohol, but I actually saw, well, dating, there's so many opportunities, like you go out for a drink or like you get a, you know, and so it was, I, I actually had a belief, I was like, and it, it, it was true. I mean, there was an instance where I went to get a drink and I was like, I'm not drinking right now. And the girl was like, no, okay, well, <laughs> you know, like, oh, but, wow. it, but, but it was clear that she wasn't for me. So, but stepping into that is a great, so that was my to let go of. And interestingly enough, in October, I haven't made a hard rule that I'll never drink again, but I think I shared with you over this last weekend, I've consciously sort of stopped drinking uh, for the time being, just because I was like, to be the person I want to be, the cost benefit analysis I did was like, okay, it's this greater benefit to me stopping for the moment. And the thing I, and then the other thing that, that I would add, as I said, a truly profound loving relationship, oh. which is so, which is what part of the reason, obviously, that I was so excited to have to, to, to speak with you. Yeah. As a friend of mine, Austin said, he said, it's not a coincidence there are no single presidents. And I thought about that, and I think of like one of the couples that I, not that I know them personally, but like when I saw Barack and Michelle Obama, I was like, to truly ascend, you know, that coupling of the, the powerful masculine and powerful feminine, it's, mm-hmm. it's like the sum of those two whole and complete individuals is something beyond itself. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of space I want to hold for, for my queen. So that, that, was my, that was my answer then. And I would say now that's, that's still my answer. Uh, in terms of letting go, the other piece I would add, which is more on the ad side, based on what we shared before we started recording, is I think stepping into that sense of commitment, like being truly committed to myself in that, as you are t- so eloquently articulate, in that I, I believe whatever I attract in the outside world is obviously going to be a reflection of the, re- re- you know, the commensurate commitment Right. Within. Well, that's the third premise of calling in. There was actually three premises that yeah. we're working with. And that's the third one is, 
is, uh, is when you shift your relationship with yourself, your external world will alter accordingly. And it's one of the exercises in Calling in the One is to invite people to write a letter to themselves from their beloved to be their imagined partner that uh, that they're starting to feel in their field and welcome into their field and like what is it that you would want that person to say at your commitment ceremony what's the pledge that they're making to you and just really you know just allow yourself to kind of savor it and receive it to the best of your ability and then actually read the letter back to yourself who you make that commitment to you. I promise to protect you always. I promise to really listen to you and to love you during the hard times. I promise to pledge myself to your happiness. Mm. Right? That has to start with our relationship with ourselves. Yes. Yeah. What have you seen to be, I mean, you've been working with this uh, protocol and, and, and I think profound gift now for, for a number of years. What have you seen to be the greatest sort of thing that holds many people back in, in their in their in their process of calling in the one? Like what is there it, I'm sure there are a variety of different things that hold people back, yeah. but just it, for the benefit of those listening, like myself for example, who obviously yeah, yeah. is looking to call in the one and I I have the benefit of knowing you and 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 have and read the book, but what what do you see as some of the great um, the great challenges that people yeah. get stuck in? Great. So, so calling in the world, we're going to start with the future and then we're going to clear everything that's not love, mm-hmm. right? That's where we go first. And yep. there's four major obstacles that we deal with. And the first one has to do with, um, the first three are all about incompletions. So the first one is old resentments. Mm-hmm. And the reason why resentment is, is an obstacle to love is because Basically, what you're doing when you resent someone, especially like a former lover who hurt your feelings, who behaved badly, because sometimes people behave obviously very badly, and, um, and, and the consequences of that can be very severe to our lives. So it's understandable that we would be struggling with that and, you know, and, and things that happen, particularly if they're not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, we can really get stuck with it. Um, however, if you're your focus is on how you've been wronged. You're kind of looking at the other person. And even if you're making yourself wrong, any kind of blame or shame actually fixes uh, and stunts growth and development, kind of fixes the problem. Not fixes like it fixes it. It, it, it solidifies the problem. Right. So, so I like to say, look, even if it's you know, 97% the other person's fault. Look at your 3%, but don't do it in a way that's shaming or blaming. Do it from an objective perspective where you're really asking yourself questions that are not about, you know, not questions like what's wrong with me, but more like how did I give my power away? Yeah. Like, and what motivated me to do that? Like, what do I believe that would have me throw myself under the bus like that time and time again? Well, I'm afraid that everyone's always going to leave me. So is the solution to that leaving myself and self-abandoning chronically? And if I chronically self-abandon, then probably people will predictably leave me because there's no me here to love, actually, or I'm teaching them that it doesn't matter if they stay or go. So my best bet at having people not leave me is to start to actually have integrity in my own relationship with myself so that I'm not leaving myself and, you know, pretending I don't have 
needs, preferences, desires that are different than the other person's or continually subjugating myself for what the other person wants. So, so you're, you're, you're looking at resentments because as long as your focus is on the other person, you're still victimized by their behavior and you're not taking responsibility for your part in how that went down, in what invited them to behave that way, gave them the idea they could behave that way, maybe turned away from the signs that they would eventually behave that way. You know, like you yeah, knew so certain active. things and you, <laughs> you didn't want to know. Often them. we know. Yeah, people are far more transparent than we like to think they are. Exactly. And we often ignore the, uh, the signals. Right. So it's just being responsible for that. And then you get the consequence. Mm. Right. So a lot of the 3% is, is kind of subtle. I turned away yeah. from my deeper knowing. Um, I was overgiving as a way to try and prove my value. You know, there's ways that we compromise ourselves that, that look almost harmless, but they're devastating to us. Mm. They're actually devastating. And so we have to name them and then make a promise to ourselves to never behave that way again. And uh, so, so it's, it's this kind of rigorous getting out of victimization and again being self-responsible. And get it that that was like a very expensive life lesson. Mm -hmm. But when you get it, you never have to do it again. So that's one thing to clear. That's one obstacle to love. The other obstacle to go, and then, well, one more thing about that, the reason it's an obstacle to love is if you are still focused on the other person and haven't yet corrected that in yourself, you actually, it will occur for you like you don't trust men or you don't trust women or you don't trust love, but the truth is you don't trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is about restoring trust in yourself so that you are safe to love someone again. Mm. Um, the next obstacle love has to do with um, with uh, what I call old agreements. And these are big. These are like the vow you made to yourself when you were, you know, first time you ever had a broken heart that you were never going to get hurt like that again. Or, you know, the promise you made to yourself when you looked at your mother in this unhappy marriage and you vowed when you were 12 years old you're never going to get married. Or, um, or you pledged your devotion to a former lover and you gave your heart and you said you're the only person I'll ever love in this lifetime and you know I had I had one woman who um, came to me because she had been single for 10 years she hadn't even had a date beautiful woman great personality like it was like completely confusing that no one would have even asked her out in 10 years totally like and I said to her like Okay, like, what are the promises you've made along the way? Like, how are you blocking? How are you covertly signaling all the men to stay away from you? Yeah, like, like what's going like on? Like, you're working hard at this, <laughs> yeah, something, right? There's got to be something going on, yeah. <laughs> and, she, and what we got to is that she was Catholic, mm. and she had gotten married in a Catholic church. So it wasn't even the vow she made to her husband. She was keeping her vow to God. Oh, my God. And once we saw that, it was like, Oh, I've been like, you know, pledging myself to my, and she hadn't even seen him in 10 years. She'd been divorced for 10 years. He was married to someone else and had children and she hadn't talked to him in years. She, she actually called him up. She said, I know this is going to sound really crazy, 
but I'm not going to be sexually monogamous with you anymore. I'm not. I'm not going to just have you be my only lover in life. And yeah, he, and they had a good. That, she broke that cord. That she commitment. broke the commitment. She got conscious of it. She prayed. She got you know. Uh, she got it flat with God. She felt in her heart and soul. She got forgiveness, and she could go out. And then, and then, of course, men just started asking her out. It happened really organically. Wow. So, so we're looking for like what are the agreements you've made along the way? A lot of them have to do with loyalties to people that we feel that we love, that we either need or we love, like maybe a sister who isn't as gifted and we kind of, you know, we, we want her to get married before us so we kind of dim ourselves down. Um, or maybe it's someone that we depend upon, our father who supports us financially, and we're afraid that we're going to get cut off because we have this agreement, I'm going to, I'll never love you, anyone more than I love you, Daddy. So you have to start, actually make those conscious. Or enmeshment with parents. Like, enmeshment, mm-hmm. that's right. <clears throat> or I'm keeping my marriage, my parents' marriage together because I'm still their child. Yeah, you know? not, not, not kind of growing into yourself because of that. Like, right. Yeah. So there's all these ways of, that we stunt ourselves out of, loyalty to these pledges because here's the thing those pledges are actually like intentions that we set for our life Hmm. we actually chart the future when we make those pledges so the good news is is that once you make them conscious you can renegotiate them yes and you consciously say i'm no longer keeping that agreement anymore this is the new agreement and, you know, if you're like this woman, maybe she actually called somebody and communicated that. Usually um, I did this because I, I discovered this because when I was doing calling in the one for myself, I realized I had this boyfriend from high school. Now I'm in my early 40s. I have not spoken to him since I was 19 years old, but we were in love all through high school. We were going to get married. And when we broke up, you know, I'm a crazy kid. So I said, okay, how about this? Because we couldn't agree on life path. So I said, why don't we each go our separate ways? But when we're in our 60s, we'll meet up and marry then. So, of course, the next year he goes out and gets married to somebody else. So he did not take that seriously. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Where you were holding on to it. But I was holding on to it on some level. Yeah. So here's the crazy thing. So I hadn't seen him in 20 years. So I didn't want to call him because he had like three kids with this woman. He was still married 20 years later. And, uh, and so I, 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 I just called him in to do what I call a soul-to-soul. Right. I called his so soul in. It. I visualized him. I had this heart-to-heart conversation. I ended the agreement. I blessed him. I thanked him. I had, you know, was crying with my tissues. And, yeah. and, and so I come out of this meditation. Well, I ended up, I mean, the punchline to all this is I did meet the one, this wonderful man who I, in this very magical way, I'd gotten, um, I had actually dated him like six years before. I hadn't seen him in all that time. And I had been thinking of him, and he had started to come into my meditation when I was doing this every morning. And um, and yet I didn't call him because I was absolutely convinced he was like the one that got away. I was sure he was married. And then this is the beginning of Internet dating, so can you believe it or not? This was like when nobody even had their pictures online yet. So during this period, I'm calling in the one... And my friend says to me, you have to get on the internet. Yeah. And I, I went on, story. quarter of a million people on, the, on this site, and I choose one person anonymously, no picture, no name, and it ended up being Mark. Yeah. And we were, <laughs> <laughs> and we were engaged before my 42nd birthday, and then I had my daughter, our daughter, when I was 43. 
so um, so so anyway, but but a few years after that, so I had never seen Frank again all this time. I just did the soul to soul, right? Like seven years after that, I had a chance to actually talk to Frank on the phone because I write about this in Calling in the One, and a friend of ours showed him. So then we wanted to connect and talk. We both started crying on the phone when we spoke. It was so emotional because we had both hurt each other so much. And he and I told him that I had dreamt about him for years. He said to me, you know, I dreamt about you too. It was actually an issue in my marriage. Wow. Because I thought about you so much and she, my wife knew. So you still had the cords. We had the cords. And I said, when did your dreams about me stop? And he just thought, he said, hmm, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah. So we are corded with people. That non-locality thing is real. So we have to be really complete with people. So that's the old agreements that have been blocking. Um, the next one is what I call toxic ties. And that's when those are relationships in the present where you are losing personal power, where you're showing up as less than who you are out of fear or obligation or guilt. It's what Susan Forward, the wonderful therapist Susan Ford calls fog, fear, mm-hmm. obligation, or guilt. And uh, sometimes we're looking for the one. We want a great relationship, an empowered relationship, but you can't really be showing up like with your sister or your mother as this really like burdened, lesser version of yourself and think you're going to have an empowered relationship with someone else. So you really have to be in the center of your power. So it's about cleaning up all those relationships. So what it takes to <clears throat> evolve a toxic tie is not necessarily getting rid of it. There's a lot of talk about like, oh, I'm going to get rid of the narcissist in my life. Well, first of all, you can't always do that with family members or coworkers. You have a boss who's like that. But second of all, it's kind of the shortcut that doesn't really work because you really want to graduate from those dynamics. Your part in it, again, it's the 97.3. You could blame that person. You could blame the narcissist. But you've got to see your role in that. And you've got to see how you disappear yourself, how you actually don't tell the truth about where your boundaries are. You're not setting boundaries. So the way to graduate is to actually do one of two things. Either you are going to really begin to tell the truth to that person. Mm. Like, you know what? I know I've been on the phone with you an hour every day because you're suffering with this breakup so much. The truth is, is that I'm burnt out and I love you. And I probably have 10 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. That's what I can give you. Mm. Right? You just set a boundary that's healthy for you. Um, And and then, so it's truth-telling or boundary-setting and some combination thereof. You know, and and you might get punished for it. Mm -hmm. Somebody might leave you for it. But but at some point, you have to choose fidelity to yourself. You've got to choose, yeah, yourself first. And the relationship you're calling in. You have to choose yourself first. So you clean up your relational field. The fourth one is this core love identity. And it's very important because these are very primal wounds. So a lot of us have a lot of development spiritually, intellectually, um, professionally, but on a very core level, you know, really deep down in our bellies and our hips and our knees, there's this kind of insecurity that we have about love uh, that's you know going to be something like I'm all alone no one ever really shows up for me everyone always leaves or the I'm invisible or I'm not safe you know Mm. and other people have ill intent and 
you know, it's dangerous to get too close to people. A lot of us who are love avoidant have some version of a lack of safety. Been hurt or hurt as a child. Or yeah. Hurt, yeah. If, if there's abuse in the dynamic, if there's oppression in the dynamic, then you're going to associate love with, with that, and it's safer to be alone. Um, so there's. How do you move beyond that? How do you move beyond that's that? That's a great. Well, so I have a whole Pandora's box about that. Okay. I mean, that's like, yeah. like, we could talk next five okay, days that, about that. that. We'll, okay. We'll, we'll maybe we'll revisit that in another episode. Well, I'm actually doing new work called The True Love Awakening, which is all about the transformation of identity. Because yeah. that is. Because here's the thing. Because that's where it? true transformation lies, right? It's not it just is. in changing habits. It's in actually visualizing a new identity and it then is. living into that. It is. That's, that's it in a nutshell. This is the most important transformation mm. that we can possibly have in any area and in particular in our love lives. So um, one of the things that I helped people to do in Calling in the One is to, I, to really name it accurately. Mm. Right, because there's a way that we kind of go to therapy and then we swim in the issues. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of codependent, and I don't really believe in myself. (laughs) You know, I'm insecure. I don't think I'm good enough. Like, but to actually go into your body, and this is the trick that we play. I say, okay, what's the pattern that you struggle with? Mm. Pretend that the pattern just happened. Mm. Right, just be a little actor. Do a little acting exercise. Pretend it just happened. For most of us, those feelings are not too far away because we've been through it a lot. So then where is it in your body? And just put your hand there and welcome the feelings in. Actually breathe into that part of you. Mm. And then ask yourself, what's the I am in the center of this emotional pain? What is the I am? And, and you're going to start to maybe get a few of I'm I'm not good enough, or I'm not safe, or I'm not wanted, I'm not loved. And I always tell people, just go, you know, go go with the one that feels the most painful. Go with the one that gets your eyes a little wet or or, or, or catches your breath, like, ew, ah, that's it. And then ask yourself, what's the belief about others? Right? So I'm not wanted, everyone will always reject me. Or I'm not loved and, and other people don't really love me. I have to love them enough for both of us. So how that core identity shows up in, in, in your life in such that it, how it, how it keeps how manifesting. How it's playable. All beliefs are relational. I don't think we look at that enough. Mm. Beliefs actually live in the relational field. Yes. They actually are relational phenomena. They're not isolated. And sometimes we're say, oh, I have a belief I'm not good enough. But, but you have to look at how that's playing out in the field between you because beliefs can't change all alone on your meditation cushion or writing in your journal. No. They actually have to change in the relationship. Yes. You have to see it in the eyes of others, what's really true about you. I love that. Right? But so what we're doing is we're like glomming onto other people desperate for them to, to see it. But People can only reflect back to us what's already within us. So we have to wake ourselves up first. So what we do then is then we say, sweetheart, how old is it? How old are you here? And it's always going to be a younger self. I'm three. I'm seven. I'm a baby. I'm in the womb. Right? There's always some younger self. Sometimes it's pre-verbal, which is why they haven't really quite been named before. 
And then what you do is you open your eyes, you shake it out. Now you've got the story that's been in your body. And as your competent, loving adult self, you, you connect with the part of you that is like a great friend to others. The part of you that would know if your child came to you and said that would be able to correct your child. No, sweetheart, that's not true. I love you. You're not alone, angel. I'm right here. I'm here for you. And then you want to start speaking those words to yourself. So you wake yourself up out of that story because there's always two of you there, at least, maybe more. Then there's also the chooser self, which yeah. self you're going to identify with. But, but in that moment, there's now two of you. But what happens when we get triggered in relationship is there's really only one of us, and it's the younger self. Yeah. Because that's the younger self. When, it, when that part of you formed that belief, there was no adult presence. So when you go back into the trance, you're alone again. So it's a reparenting in a way. Or it a re, is. A, a re a re-identification. It is a re-identification. And, it, and it's, it, you know, for years I was calling it the adult self, but it's actually, I've come to call it the whole self. Mm. Because it involves our spirit and our soul and our higher self. You know, all of the resources, plus our adult, competent, wise, mature self. Like, what's actually true about that? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's flowery, like I am a child of God, but sometimes it's just like, God damn it, I'm super smart. Mm. I am not a stupid person. I am a competent woman, I am a strong woman, and I am worth loving. Yeah. Like, it's just like bottom line, like what's actually true? And then you start to actually notice that inside the old centering that you show up in ways that literally enroll people into the old story all the time and set them up to lose with you constantly yeah and in the new story so then you say okay well that's how i've been causing it what would i need to do differently and how will i need to develop myself in order to show up in this new way mm -hmm. right well you know look people in the eye um really speak my truth um, assume the best of others, that they actually want what I have to offer. You know, here's the, here's the subtlety of it. So I worked with one woman who saw that her core love identity was I'm not wanted. And she traced it all the way back to being in the womb because for years her mother said, you weren't, I wanted to abort you, I didn't want to be a mother. You know, I don't know why people tell things, their children these things, but, but you know, she did. And but but that but you know, in a way, it's it, it's okay because she already absorbed the energy in the fetus. You know, there's been a lot of studies that fetuses, you know, absorb the consciousness of sure. their parents and you know form identity in the womb. So she so you know, once she got the I'm not wanted, she like wailed. She was an actress, so she's very self-expressive. So she wailed, and she was like, you know, because it so named it. But then she got to this beautiful truth about her, which is, you know, the truth is, is that all of life wanted me here on planet Earth, so much so that, you know, I got here in spite of an ambivalent mother. Like, that's yeah. how much I wanted here, right? That's a much better conversation be Beautiful to be conversation, <laughs> beautiful identity. So when we looked at, well, how have you been, like, setting everyone up to reject you? Yep. One of the things we noticed is that just in her body language, inside of the assumption that other people were going to reject her, she talked really fast and got in your face whenever she had something to say. She was like this, because she, she thought you were going to leave at any moment or reject her, so she's like grabbing onto you whenever <laughs> she's talking to you. And of course, everybody backs up and can't yeah, get away from her fast. It's really aggressive. 
And when she saw it, like the, the simplicity and the elegance of, okay, I'm going to contain my energy more. And I'm just going to make space for other people. I'm going to respect their personal space. Well, within six months, not only did she have a boyfriend, but she'd been an actress who'd been completely unsuccessful for years. This is a woman in her late 40s, never had a role of significance. She got cast into three major feature films. Wow. With that one adjustment. Wow. Okay, so 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 that so it's very concrete. So that's why I'm saying if you're if you're leaning into who would I need to be really? Because her future love, as she was visioning it, was a person who actually wanted to be with her and was really choosing her. So who am I in being chosen? Right? So and it is a recalibration of identity. So you can start to see how deep this is. And of course there's skills involved. Like she actually needed to learn about just personal body space between people. It was like off her radar. So there's ways that we need to grow ourselves to become the person that we would need to be in order to have the love that the happy, healthy love that we're wanting to have. So calling in the one is about clearing away the obstacles to love. It's about also preparing mm-hmm. for the love that we are calling into our lives. And it's beca- it's about becoming magnetic to that love. Mm. That's the other piece of it too. It is fascinating to think about how, you know, I've, I've thought about this. You know, you can walk out looking the exact same, but your ways of being attract such different results, you know? Yes. Like, literally could be wearing the same outfit, you're the same human, but have an entirely different day and obviously multiply by that entirely different life commensurate with how you show up. Like I actually used to experiment with that to a degree in New York. Like if I was having a crappy day, wear the same outfit and then go out and it was like, bang, okay, like let me experiment and see. And if, if I had was having a good day, like just the degree to which like, oh, I'm talking to the person in the bodega, I'm talking, you know, and the way also that that would compound on itself, you know, right. like the the way in which your identity is then informed and you're fed by, for lack of a better, for lack of a better term, like the energy of the good energy of, of people sort of seeing you and your magnetic energy kind of compounds on itself in a way, at least yeah. in my experience. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that you would experiment with that and start to play with who am I being yeah. and what is it creating? What is it generating? I mean, I think that most of us, truthfully, are very overly identified mm-hmm. with the traumatized self mm-hmm. that we formed in response to the disappointments we endured as children. Yeah. And, um, and, and there's good reason for that in a sense because... We can look at our lives and see all this evidence of that story. But the moment you start to say, well, how am I the source of the story? You're shifting your relationship with it. So it's no longer the truth about you. It's a construct of consciousness that you're generating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's in a way, it's, it's and I, because I've had that. I mean, I've actually been in a relationship with folks in the past who have, who have experienced trauma, for example. And I have dated women who, where that was their core identity, right. and it showed up time and time again. And uh, other women who were, it was like, yes, that happened to me, but so many other things have happened to me. And not to make light of it, it's just like, it wasn't, they didn't see it as their identity. And, and, and 
it was it's just being in relationship to that it was powerful to see the degree to which you identify with something how much that shows up in other instances that sort of magnetize commensurate with that identity and i remember working with uh this really powerful gentleman and he was like you know this is sort of like what I think what you were sharing earlier. You know, you can actually change the story you live out of any time. And the degree to which you build then that muscle creates a whole different reality because it's it's really from that place of being that, 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 that sort of everything unfolds around us. You know, we have this fallacy in our culture that that it's like if we have a certain thing, then we'll start to feel a certain way or be it, right? Whether that be a relationship, right. whether it be a car or a house or whatever. Right. Whereas it's totally the opposite. It's like who we're being and the muscle we build from that commitment to that identity that, that kind of unfolds everything that we see in our life. And so, at I, least for me, I'm working on building that muscle. Uh, clearly. And, and one of the things that... Um, so this whole year for me is actually about the true love awakening process, like really waking up to the truth of who you are yeah. in order to create the kind of relationships you desire, the kind of life that you would love to live. But I like to break it down because we're always going to be triggered. <laughs> totally. Like we'll yeah. always be triggered. And, and then and the number one thing that, that, that triggers us is disappointment. Mm. So we'll always have to endure disappointments in life and the, and the automatic meaning that we'll default to. So it's learning where you go in that moment and then how you show up in a way that, that generates that. So for example, if, if, if you're a person who tends to have the I'm alone as your kind of default mm-hmm. place to go in, in the face of disappointment, you know, somebody breaks up with you that you had hope for, you, you kind of go to that, you know, here I am alone again, no matter what I do, everybody always leaves, I can't, you know, other people have love, I can't get what I need here. So you kind of default into that. Or if somebody hurts your feelings, even, it's not even breaking up with you, you might just default to that and then go into self-protective mode because even the conflict or the problem that you're having with somebody, very often we will, because we think everybody always leaves, we will then anticipate, oh, this is the beginning of the end. Right. As opposed to conflict being actually an invitation to deepen intimacy because that is where statistically studies show that relationships are bonded once in the repair. Yeah. Not, not in not, never having conflict. They're bonded in the repair, how we repair. But if you have an I'm alone, that's like an undeveloped part of you, and where you'll go is into self-protective mode. You put self-protection, and you'll start to withdraw your energy. You'll put self-protection above relationship. And that energy also becomes almost like stagnant and diseased in a way, right? Like the, if you don't actually create the breakthrough from a breakdown, I find oftentimes if you just like, and there's certain energies where I've done that, where it's just like, I actually am not even going to energize that. But that person's always now forevermore still living in that vision of the breakdown energy. So like it's kind of become diseased, if you will, in, in that relationship. Well, I want to ask you, with the, with the women you've been with, so just hold that because I, mm. I just want to complete this other thought. But I do want to ask you about how they set you up to play out their story and disappoint them mm. in ways that actually mirrored their sure. story back to them. Because I, that is what we do. 
and it's all so covert and hard to see at the beginning. But mm. once you see it, it's like the emperor has no clothes. You completely get it. You can never unsee it. But the um, but this thing about like the I'm alone story. So you're talking about shifting centers, is what I call it, mm. right? You're in a false center. Disappoint you triggered you into I'm alone. Somebody you had a conflict with somebody. You got scared. You pulled your energy back in. You're essentially now signaling them to leave because you've kind of left emotionally. So you're setting them up for, you know, playing out your story. And in that moment, because you've mapped all this out, you see what you're doing. And, and you say, okay, what's the deeper truth? And you know that it's the four-year-old. Mm. And so you sit with your four-year-old. You say, honey, I'm right here. I love you. I'm not leaving. And you get yourself into a power, a power position, a power center, and you say to yourself, I actually have the capacity to create intimacy and to deepen love with everyone that matters to me. Mm, sure. I have that capacity, and it's mine to generate. So instead of withdrawing, you might pick up the phone and say, I need to have a difficult conversation with you because I was really hurt, and I'm just noticing I want to withdraw and kind of disconnect from you, but I actually don't want that because... You matter to me, and I love you. So I, I want to work this through with you. Mm-hmm. And you give, and and that's what's going to deepen intimacy. Of course. And that's when you start to build a life where people don't just disappear on you; they yeah. actually stay for the long haul. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it creates a whole different life. These small decisions, like because wherever we're centered at the level of identity, is where we're creating our lives from. Well, also, it's just. I mean, it could, I mean. It's... Simply, it's about who are you committed to investing that. Like, because some people you're not invested in having that conversation because they're not they're not. I mean, it's it's interesting because I think that's beyond even romantic relationships. Yeah, like, for sure. Like you may have a breakdown at work with someone, and the honest truth is, the more courage you have to like approach that right away from that place, right, of like yeah. empathic empathetic communication, and say. You know, this is how it occurred to me, you know, from place of responsibility, what have you. It obviously can gestate huge potentiality of, of breakthrough and, and relating in a whole deeper level of intimacy and, and, and strengthen that relationship. Yeah. The truth of the matter is, though, for some people, they're not wanting to have that conversation. They're not even ready, you know. Yeah. And so that's where it's an interesting piece is like, and I don't know the right answer to this, but like, Obviously, in I think a romantic relationship that definitively deserves that opportunity for a breakthrough, but there are certain people in relating with, and maybe someone listening, you know, when you're in a dating context and it's in the very beginning, I would think if that person's worthy. But then sometimes it's like also maybe that's just an indication that they're not your person. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. do they deserve? Do they deserve? Because that requires vulnerability, and I I feel like vulnerability is so beautiful, but it's also a gift. And I feel like not everyone deserves the softness of that vulnerability. I, I've never said that before. Yeah. I, I think everyone does deserve it in the place that they can receive it from a place of their vulnerability. But if someone's going to just like attack you more, then I I don't know. But do you have do you have any thoughts around? Well, that? I think dating is all about discovering that. That's yeah. exactly what you're discovering. <laughs> exactly. So, Are they worthy of this? Or? Well, exactly. And yeah. you have to kind of take the risk to have your heart a little out on your sleeve totally. to find out. But you have to be a little tough, you know, tough enough to get like. Okay, this person doesn't have the interest in it, or not. They don't have the capacity for it. 
you know, like we're not just assessing, am I sexually attracted to this person? You're also yeah. assessing their character and their capacity. hundred percent. Yeah. Don't forget 100%. that part. hundred percent. Well, I would say, and I'll show you, I mean, as we evolve, like from place responsibility, as I evolve, like that's becoming more and more integral, right? As I look to call in the one, it's like, okay, that piece, I mean, the attractive piece is, that's like, almost, that, that, that's so easy to ascertain you know, right away. The character piece is like the fundamental piece. That's the distinguishing marker, right? There's lots of quote unquote attractive people, but who has the character? Who's willing to go into the tough places? Like you're talking about, like who's willing to have those hard conversations? I mean, one of the things I admire, for example, I'm about to fly in for my, to, to honor my mother and father, 50 years of being together. Wow. Uh, and, you know, my father, as you know, is, you know, has dementia. Mm. And one of the things that I admire most about my mother is her loyalty to the, their relationship, mm. you know, to the integrity of that. And so one of the things I think about is, you know, who would have my back in the in that context of like, you know, I think about that with friendships, but yeah. especially in the context of a romantic partner. Yeah. Like when things aren't sexy, when things are are potentially in a challenging way, mm-hmm. who would be there? You know, who literally who would who who has that character and desire, you know, because there are people who have character but may not have the desire for that, but like who wants to go all the places with you? Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I love the work of Sue Johnson, Dr. Sue Johnson, with her emotionally focused therapy. Because mm. she says the most important question mm. that we have of each other is, are you there for me? Wow. Are you really there for me? And she says, actually, that most fights between couples are about that question. Totally. Yeah. That makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Yeah. And how much can I push you when you still be there? You know, like, cause a lot of people, I mean, a lot of, I feel like a lot of times it's like pushing and it's like, it's that, are you really going to be there when the chips fall? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is great. I mean, and I think in our culture, we're kind of in, in this period where relationships are a little bit disposable and transient, particularly those of us who live in urban places, LA, New York. Oh my God. I know. So do a whole nother show on that one. Do it. Dating, dating in New York ah. and Los Angeles. I've got a lot. I could write a book about it. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, and, and also in the technological age, I mean, you were talking about, you met Mark on a site with 250,000 people. I mean, that's miraculous. Right. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, the swipe right, swipe left, um, disposable nature of, you know, of, of tech apps, Plus, you know, the ease of like, it's a lot harder to know if someone's really going to be there when it's so easy for them to just swipe right to the next thing, you know? So it's it's like, when do you, when do you know, okay, this person's, this person's really in yet. I do think we still are hardwired, you know, yes, we have technology, but we are hardwired for that. We are hardwired to belong to each other. Really? Yes. That's really true. Yes. Well, where can people, Catherine, where can people find your work? Catherine Woodward Thomas.com, K A T H E R I N E, Woodward Thomas.com. And uh, I have uh, a lot happening, a lot going on, which I'm super happy about. Conscious Uncoupling, Calling in the One, and Now True Love Awakening. 
and uh, we have a pretty thriving learning community. I actually have a free teachings. I send out free teachings about how to deepen our capacity to love and be loved called the Love Out Loud Daily. I send it out three times a week and um, people really, really love them. They're kind of wisdom teachings about relationships. So yes. That's all free. So I, I mean, I just got to a point where I thought, oh my gosh, there's so much happening in our community with my paid students. I have to start just giving the teachings away. <laughs> Given what's happening in the world, this yes. doesn't make sense just to keep this in-house. So that's the Love Out Loud Daily. Yeah, well, this is such, I mean, this, you, well, you have been a gift to my life. And this book, I think, will be instrumental in my process of calling yeah. it my queen. And uh, I'm so grateful for your friendship. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for how you show up in the world. Thank you. I'm so grateful for your stand and, and kind of your gift and the way that that gift is gestating, um, true loving, relating. Yeah, that's what it's about, isn't it? It really is. And it's, I, that's, it's not and about I, saving our love up for one person. It's about expanding our care for each other. That's it. Yeah. That's what life's about. So thank you, Catherine Woodward Thomas. Thank you, Michael Trainer. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Oh, that was great. That was super fun. Yeah. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Catherine Woodward Thomas. I know that I did likely will not be our last conversation. She's such a gem and highly recommend you guys do the calling in the one, both reading the book and doing the exercises. I, I think it's extremely valuable whether you're with the partner of your dreams or you're looking to call them in. I think it's an incredibly gratifying and, um, profound experiments in really getting clear on who you want to be and what you want to source in your life. Um, with that, if you get a chance, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review over on iTunes. It means the world to me. And I hope you guys are staying safe out there, taking care of each other. This community means the world to me, and I'm so grateful for your time, your energy, for your listening. Please go out there and live your inspired life.